0: Good morning. Our scripture for today comes from Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 21 and it says for this reason I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
1: Amen. Man, it is good to see you. If you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and turn with me to that passage in Ephesians chapter 3. I think at this point, Lindsay's probably got it memorized because every week we're studying those same seven verses tucked into the middle of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Because if you're joining us for the first time, this is the prayer journal of the Apostle Paul for the people of God. Now, Paul prayed this prayer for the church in the first century city of Ephesus. But by extension, he's praying it for the church gathered on the east side of Orlando. This would be the prayer that Paul would pray for you that we might know and understand the love of God. And so if you want to memorize scripture, if you are thinking like, man, if you've got this conviction, that I need to study some more of God's word. I need to memorize some more of God's word. Start with these seven verses. We're spending an entire month studying these seven verses. This would be the perfect time to stop and spend the next couple of days just committing these seven verses to memory. Read them every day. And then don't just stop at memorizing the verses, but pray the verses When you wake up and when you go to bed, sit with God in his word and just pray that God would, like Paul says, strengthen us with power through his spirit in your inner being. You're like, I don't know what that means. We'll have the podcast up from a few weeks ago and that'll help you know what it means. But nonetheless, pray it and see what God does. Pray that God would give you the strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and height and length of the the love of Christ and pray that God would fill you with all the fullness of God and see if over the course of the next several weeks, as you commit those verses to memory, as you pray those verses in your life and over your life, if the Holy Spirit doesn't change your life. We're going to spend our time this morning looking at the second of these three specific prayers of the apostle Paul. If you got your Bible, Lindsay did a phenomenal job. I want to read just this Section from today's text, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, 18, and part of 19. All right, it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, remember, we said that every time we read through this passage, and it says, That you, that's one of those specific prayers that the Apostle Paul is praying for the church, that you. Being rooted and grounded in love, meaning love is your foundation. And he kind of hits two different sides of the aisle. If you've got a background in agriculture, you're rooted like a flower, a plant, a tree is rooted in love. It is growing up out of love. If you're more of an architectural like lines and uh, drawing mentality, your foundation rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints being corporately together with the church what is the breadth and length and height and depth into this verse is where we're going to really hone in. Know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, when I read that, it is an incredible prayer. Like we could literally just read this, pray it over the church, say amen, and we would go out from here and our life would look differently. It is an incredible prayer. But as I think about teaching it, it is an impossible task. Literally. Paul says that you would know with your mind the love of Christ that what? surpasses knowledge like this seems impossible and I love my job I, I think I make that abundantly clear every week I am so grateful that I get to do what I get to do it's a ton of fun I love that I get to sit with God every week in his word and then share with you what he has to say I love that I get to watch it transform your life I love that I get to come alongside you and serve alongside you pray with you that we get to build this church together I literally tell people when they say what do you do I say I get to follow Jesus with my favorite people people in the world. I love my job. I love what I get to do. In most days, it's pretty easy, but sometimes it gets hard. Like sometimes there's hard parts of my job. I have to try to get our church to start on time every Sunday. Some of it's pretty difficult, but this seems impossible. When Paul says, I pray that you would know what you cannot know. Like, where do you even start? And then the subject matter is love. Like, what does it mean to know what you cannot know? All of a sudden, I think I know what my AP chemistry teacher was like in high school. And she thought, Adam, I cannot teach you this. It says more about us than the subject matter I'm trying to communicate. The subject matter, God is more than we can grasp, specifically his love for his people. We just cannot fully comprehend it. But that doesn't stop the Apostle Paul from praying that we would have strength, To comprehend with all the church, with all the saints, the love of God that we might in some way beyond our understanding know what we cannot know. Now we said last week, strength comes from the Holy Spirit. And so what Paul is saying is I pray that God's Holy Spirit dwelling inside of God's people would give you the capacity to understand what you don't know. There's no secret pill we can take to expand our understanding. Is simply pray. That God would open our minds. So to that end, before we even dive into the word, let us pray together for God to open our minds to see. Father, we are so thankful for your goodness and grace. We cannot be more grateful at the opportunity we have to gather together as your people. And in this moment, we've sung songs to make much of you. We've reminded ourselves of your goodness and your grace through the taking of the emblems. We confessed our sins before you. But in this moment, Father, we sit under your word and we submit to your authority. We pray that the Holy Spirit who you are gracious enough to, dwell, to put to dwell inside of all the believers, would open our minds and our hearts and our souls, that with all, with, with all of who we are, in some way that is beyond our understanding, we might grasp the love of Christ. And Father, for that reason, we pray to you, that you would help, our, help us understand what you're about to say through your word. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, how do we know? The goal today, the, the time we have the next 75 minutes is to know what we cannot know. How do we know? I think Paul kind of hit the nail on the head when he did his communion meditation. These guys do a phenomenal job with communion meditation. We're about to to build that team. Kevin's working on a a training for us for our communion meditation. And I love when it lines up with the sermon, but sometimes they steal my thunder. And that kind of happened today. And I was was sitting back there. I was like, man, that's a good communion meditation. I don't know what I'm going to say during my sermon. But the idea is we know intellectually But we also have to experience like we define the love of God. If we want to know the love of God, we have to define what we're talking about the best way we can define it. But we also have to experience. And so we're going to look at two different sets of scriptures from God's word today to know what the love of God is by definition or at least the best definition we can find. And then we're going to see how do we experience it. Because there are great theologians who have come before us. There will be great theologians who come after us, and they will spend their entire life dedicated to the study of God's word and who he is and theology. And they will roll out these incredible definitions. For example, this week uh, I found John Stott uh, in his commentary. He said this, and I love it about the passage. He says, It seems legitimate to say that the love of Christ is broad. Remember he says the height, the length, the depth, the breadth. To, broad enough to encom- encompass all of mankind. It is long enough to last for eternity. It is deep enough to reach to the most... Degraded sinner and it is high enough to exalt him to heaven. That's a really cool definition for the love of God. Like take a screenshot of that, think about it, meditate it on it in your prayer time. But I think it kind of falls incomplete. Like that's really cool. It kind of shows us the expanse of God's love, but I think it even in some weird way kind of limits what is unlimited. So I want to look, if you have your Bibles in First John chapter four. First John chapter four. First John is a letter written by a man named John who spent three years traveling with Jesus, listening to him teach, watching him perform miracles, watching demonstrations of his love. He was there in the upper room when Jesus demonstrated his love in some small way by just washing his disciples' feet. And John John knew the love of God. In fact, John thought he knew the love of God so much that he described himself in the gospel of John as the one whom Jesus loved. And I always think that's so funny. Because John had 12, or Jesus had 12 disciples, one of them went a little off the rails, but, but Jesus had these 12 guys, and John just kind of elevated himself when he's writing the gospel. I guess if you write the gospel, you can refer to yourself as whatever you want, but in John's gospel, John doesn't identify himself by name, he doesn't talk about himself in the third person, he just says, the one whom Jesus loved, you know. John, right? And, um, but Jesus, to his, I'm sorry, to his credit, I think John did understand the love of God because he wrote one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture in his gospel, John chapter 3, verse 16. It's not going to be on the screen because you've got it memorized, right? For God so what? Loved the world. For God so loved the world, John said, early on in his gospel, before the really even gets up to speed with the life and the ministry of Jesus, he just says, I want to lay this out there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have life through him. That's incredible. Like John understood the love of of Jesus. John experienced the love of Jesus. And then even after that incredible verse in John chapter 3 verse 16, after John finished his gospel with the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he went on to write a series of three letters, three short letters to the church to explain in further detail the love of Jesus. We have these in our Bible near the end of your Bible as 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And in 1 John chapter 4, maybe one of the most Incredible passages on the love of God kind of tucked in at the end of the Bible says this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. To the church, John writes, beloved. So right there out of the gate, he addresses the church as beloved. Those who are loved by God. You are loved. Let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because... God is love. Like that verse right there, I highlighted it in my Bible. Maybe you want to circle it in yours. God is love. Do you ever remember in middle school, hopefully it stopped in middle school, when you would be in like a fight with someone, or a disagreement with someone, and they would try to hurl some insult at you, and they had a middle, middle school intellect. And so like the best they could come up with, they would say to you like, man, you're so ugly. I looked up ugly in the dictionary, and your picture was there. No? Just me? Okay. Could have gotten, like, a sympathy, yes. You know, you're so dumb. I looked up dumb in the dictionary, and there was your picture. Like, that's not true. And then you get home, you get the Webster Dictionary. Dumb, dumb. That's not in there. That's not me. But nonetheless, we're in a middle school cafeteria, so I thought middle school humor every once in a while would be appropriate. Uh, I say that because, like, when you look up God or love in the dictionary, like, the perfect definition would be God. God is love. It's who he is, it's what he does. God is love. God's character is the perfect representation of love. Everything that flows from God is loving. I was talking to someone in our church not too long ago, and I was just talking about being like, uh, said something about like, man, God is just so kind. God, and so no, God isn't just kind. Everything, I said when God is kind, I'm sorry, when God is kind, it's like, no, God is always kind. God is always loving. It's part of his character, is the attributes of who He is. Like nothing God does is unloving. God is love and who He is and what He does. All the actions that flow from God, they are loving. And I know it's so hard to wrap our mind around this idea, because it's kind of philosophical. It's kind of this like ethereal concept, the theory of love. And no matter who you are, where you come from, you got this different background or understanding of love, what love is. It's based on your family of origin. It's based on the, the person you've married. It's based on the TV shows you've watched. But if we were to strip it all back, we would say, what is the purest definition of love? The purest definition of love is God. It's how he treats his people. It's who he is. That is, we read the entirety of God's word. It's one love story. God loves you. It's hard to wrap our minds around. And while we can't see love, we can certainly see the effects of it. Just like they say, you know, you can't see wind, but you see the effects of it in the trees blowing and the ripples on the water. Uh, John goes on and he says, God is love. In this, the love of God was, it says, made manifest. It was made visible. This invisible thing that we cannot fully wrap our mind around, that will never be as beyond our understanding, they will never fully grasp. You can see glimpses of it in this, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Again, John 3, 16, 1 John chapter four, verse nine, in this, uh, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins you're reading a different translation, it may say it's honing sacrifice, which is a good definition. But I love that the ESV puts the word propitiation in here. I think sometimes it's good when we read the Bible. We want a Bible uh, that we can understand, right? But sometimes it's good to put Bible words in here to kind of stretch our understanding. And instead of dumbing it down, I know whenever Carissa sends me to Starbucks, like I know her order, right? Grande, oh gosh, I should, I should have written it down. Grande... <laughs> Macchiato, double sleeve, no-cup. I'm not sure. Something like that. But nonetheless, like, I had no idea what that meant the first time she sent me after it. But I learned what it was. Like, I'm not an idiot. I can learn what it is. I asked the barista, like, describe this to me. And she looked at me like, sir, you're ordering. It's for my wife. Um, But nonetheless, when we read things like this, it can stretch us. What does propitiation mean? It means a payment that satisfies. That Jesus' life, his death on the cross, was a payment that satisfied the wrath of God that should be poured out against us because of our sin offense against God. And he says, For God so loved us in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son, which we take for granted because we grew up with the Christianese, that God would send his son, but we wouldn't walk across the room to save someone if it was going to cost us something, right? But he sent his son from heaven to earth to be the payment that satisfies for our sins. Beloved, he again says, remember, you are loved in verse 11. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's another sermon for another day. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God's love abides in us and his love is perfected in us. But I keep going, by this we know that we abide in him because he has given us of his spirit. And so what John says is like, he says he's given us of his spirit. There's this this intellectual understanding. Okay, I don't fully get it, but I can read. God is love. Who God is, what God does. God is the epitome, the definition of love for us. But we don't understand love unless it is poured into us or made visible to us by His Holy Spirit. So I think the Bible definition is always the best definition. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. But, but we can, that only helps us so much, right? Like we can know something, but do you know it? Like you know... Gravity's a thing. But do you really know it until you fall off something? Like, that's what he was talking about. Now I've experienced it. I understand it. So we define it. God is love. But how do we experience God's love? Romans chapter 5. I was in the book of Romans a few uh, weeks ago in my prayer time. because You can tell that because I'm using it every week in some way in my sermon. But I was reading through Romans in my prayer time. In this text from Romans chapter 5, it just literally leaped off the page at me. It's a text I've read more times than I can count. But for some reason, this time I was reading it and it's like, this is mind blowing. And it's continued to come to mind. It's continued to convict me. It's continued to challenge me. And in some ways, it's continued to comfort our church as I meet with you throughout the weeks, because I realize what Paul says to the church in Rome in Romans chapter five, verses one through eight, is universally true of all of us who are found in Christ hear what Paul says, and then we'll talk about how it helps us experience the love of God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. So who's Paul writing to? He's writing to the church in Rome. He's writing to believers like you and I, those who have put their faith in Jesus and have been justified, meaning we have right standing, legal right standing with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Man, this is profound, but meaning the animosity between us and God because of our sin has, been, has subsided because God has been the, the propitiation for our sin. So we've been justified, just as if we've never sinned. We have peace with God. We can come into his presence because Jesus' righteousness is now our righteousness. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. So again, he's writing to Christians. This is not true for people who are outside of Christ. And we rejoice in the hope of glory. Those first, three, first two verses... What Paul's trying to say is, we're going to talk about suffering. What he's about to say is only for the church. Now it's available to everyone. Everyone can put their faith in Jesus, right? It's not withheld from anyone. But the way we see and experience the love of God is only available to the church. The entire world has a perspective. Every, every religious tradition, every faith perspective has a tradition on suffering. But only Christianity bases our view on suffering in a person, a Savior, who is willing to suffer for us. So because of that, hear what Paul writes to the church in Rome. Hear what Paul says to the church here on the east side of Orlando. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now stick with me because that sounds bizarre. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. And this is the line which almost seemed out of place at first reading because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So rejoice in your sufferings. You know that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. So we get that suffering shapes us and hope does not put us to shame, but because God's love has been poured into our hearts through his Holy Spirit who has been given to us for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one might even dare to die. But God shows his love for us. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God was on display through the work of Jesus. But I want to back up. If you've got your Bibles, keep it up in Romans chapter 5. We rejoice in our sufferings. Like, Paul doesn't say we have to be happy with our suffering, right? We're not a bunch of crazy people. We're just Christians. We're not that crazy. We don't have to be happy about our suffering, but we rejoice in our suffering. Why do we rejoice in our suffering? Because we know what it produces, and we know what lies on the other side of it. And I've always read this, like, yeah, I guess I can, in concept, rejoice in my suffering because it's making me a better person. Things are tested under fire. They become stronger. I get it. But when I was reading it at this time, I realized it's not just that we're rejoicing in our sufferings because of what it's producing in us. So that's true. It's because of what it allows us to experience. And experience the love of Christ that has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That we experience the love of God when we suffer. Corey, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I I told the worship team this would be the end of the sermon. This is not the end of the sermon. Don't come up yet. Corey Tenboon. I just think it fits better here. Who was uh, famous for her book *The Hiding Place*, which details how she hid Jews in World War II? It uh, was ultimately caught by the Nazis, put on trial, and sent to a concentration camp. She, she, with her sister, were in this concentration camp—egregious, uh, terrible circumstances. You can read her story. Uh, the barracks she was living in were so infested with fleas that the the officers would not go into them. But because they were infested with fleas, because the officers would not go into them, they they'd smuggled a Bible in, and they held worship services. And they were miserable physically while they were in there, but spiritually being renewed. It's an incredible story. But she said this quote. She says, I never really knew that God was all I needed until he was literally all I had. Like this is a woman who loved Jesus, loved Jesus enough to sacrifice for Jesus, loved Jesus enough to protect the lives of Jews who hadn't even put their faith in Jesus. And, and she was caring for them, but it wasn't until she suffered that she really experienced the love of Jesus. I, didn't re- I, didn't, I never really knew that God was all I needed until God is all I had. I think about it, we, we rejoice with suffering because it allows us to experience the love of Jesus. Now, I was thinking I was thinking about this week, like, how do I describe that? Because like we don't love to suffer. But the truth is we all find ways to suffer knowing that good will be on the other side. Like we, we will allow ourselves to not go out to eat with friends because we know that financial peace lies on the other side of living below our means. We will, you know, uh, do our, will not go play with our friends and do fun things because we need to stay home and study because we know that a good education, a good career lies on the other side of discipline. I'm not that, that incredible. I just was thinking about it this week. I was like, you know, I choose to suffer every single day in my garage gym. And it's not fun. And Carissa, and I know some of you guys think, like, I just love working out. I don't at all, actually. I kind of hate it. I go out there, it's 175 degrees. I open it up, and then I realize people can see me. So I close the garage back down, so I'd rather sweat to death than let my neighbors see me struggling in here. So I turn on a fan. The lights went out, and I'm not an electrician. I don't know how to fix them, so it's dark. It's, it, there's boxes stacked all around me, all of our kids' stuff. It's, it's just it's not fun. And then that's just the setting, the straining to lift weights. Not fun either, but I love what it produces. Like, I love that I get stronger. I love that I can pick my daughter up without groaning. I love that I can jump up here on stage. I love that. But I'll tell you what I really love. And this is a little awkward in a church where Chris's parents are and my parents are. I love how much my wife loves that I work out. And honestly, and I think about that a lot when I go in the gym and I suffer because I know, like, her love lies on the other side of that suffering. Someday we'll be a church big enough where I won't see my family as I tell stories like that. I say that as a joke. I say that as a joke because the truth is we suffer seriously in Christ, with Christ, and we're willing to suffer. We're willing to go out and do the things that cause suffering because we know that God's, that God's love is realized in fullness on the other side of our suffering. And I think about our church. I like to use fun illustrations to kind of lighten the mood at times, because I think about our church. You guys are incredible people. I I get to follow Jesus with my favorite people in the world, and I get to hear your stories. I get to share coffee with you guys. And from the face value, like from the outside looking in, it looks like we're a great group of people, sharp-dressed, good-looking people. I got your life together. But I know your story. And as I look around this room, almost universally, there is pretty significant suffering going on in your lives. And you think, like, what is the purpose of this suffering? Like, some of you are dealing with health issues, You have unanswered questions about your health or you're waiting for surgeries that seem like they're so far off they might not ever come or they might come too late. Some of you are afraid you're going to lose a loved one. Some of you have lost loved ones recently. Some of you are praying and longing for a family. Some of you are just praying that God will put your family back together. Some of you are praying for a relationship. Some of you are dealing with broken relationships with a family that seem like they're, they're broken beyond repair. Some of you feel like your marriage is headed to divorce. Some of you feel like you're coming out of a divorce that hit you unexpectedly. You have no understanding of what took place. Some of you are looking for someone to marry, wondering if God will ever follow through on what seems like a promise he gave you when you spent time with him in prayer. Some of you are dealing with the fallout of financial struggles. It seems like every month there's more month than money. Some of you are looking for a new job. Some of you are struggling at work in the position that's been entrusted to you. Like the list goes on and on. And these aren't these aren't hypothetical illustrations. Now we are at the end of the sermon. If you guys want to come up, these aren't hypothetical illustrations. These are real experiences that y'all are suffering with right now. Doesn't seem to be answers. You pray and you pray. And I think about that quote from Corey Tin, but I never really knew that God was all I needed until he was literally all I had. wonder why we go through suffering sometimes. Perhaps the answer is, yes, it's shaping you to be a better follower of Jesus. It's knocking off the rough edges. It's refining you as one. Like All of that is true. All of that is real, and all of that is important. But one if the greatest purpose behind our pain and our suffering isn't so that we might experience the love of Christ in a way that we did not know possible to experience the love of Christ. So often that is my prayer. When I hear the things that you guys are going through, I just pray with you or for you that you would experience God's love. You don't see it right now. I can't explain it to you. No scripture I point you to is going to alleviate the pain, but through the very real suffering you're feeling, you would experience the love of Jesus. I say all the time, trying to understand God is like us walking to the edge of the Atlantic Ocean with a red Solo cup in our hand, thinking we're gonna fit all of that into here. How many, do you think those numbers Paul said were real? Or did he just make them up off the top of his head? No one knows, Google and find out, see if he was just, he's a principal, he could have been making that up for all we know. Nonetheless, there's a lot of water in the Atlantic Ocean, right, you imagine walking up to with a red Solo cup, that's my capacity, to, actually that's generous, maybe a Dixie cup is my capacity to understand the goodness and the grace and the love of God. But I'll tell you what, I love the ocean, and it does not stop me. My ability to see into the ocean or understand how it works and the tides and structures, I don't understand it all. But it never stops me from diving in and enjoying all that it has to offer. I think some of this, my prayers through the Holy Spirit, that some of this, Paul's prayer, that we would know and comprehend experience the love of God that surpasses understanding, that we might take hold of it. The word comprehend in the Greek is literally to take hold of the love of God, meaning that you might experience God's love for you, even if... You can't fully wrap your mind around it. I would love to give you three simple steps to experience the love of Christ. Like I would love to say, if you do these three things, you'll really grasp the love Jesus has for you. But based on what I read from the apostle Paul, that is impossible. So what I want to do is I want to end today with a prayer and I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to give us strength with all the saints in the church of Christ to understand the love of Christ. Heavenly Father, we come before you and I'm I am truly just humbled that I get to stand here and share with my friends something I am learning about. And Father, if I was completely honest, I feel completely inadequate to describe something so profound, so mysterious, so marvelous, so awesome and awe-inspiring as the love of Jesus. I've grown up hearing about it. I've seen the stories on the felt board. I've read the stories of the prodigal son and all of that, God, I believe is true. I know our church believes those stories too. But Father, as a collection of saints gathered together, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us strength with the saints gathered around the world today, making much of you to understand the height, the depth, the breadth, the length of the love of Jesus. A love that while we were far from you, dead in our trespasses and sins, sent your son from heaven to earth to live a life like us in this broken world, dealing with the fallout of sin, dealing with the pain of suffering just like we feel. And to go through that suffering to suffer for us for the joy set before him was a restored relationship with his people. Father, that you would love us so much that you would suffer for us. And Father, that as we suffer, as we deal with difficulty and immeasurable pain and broken relationships and failing health and things that I can't even begin to wrap my mind around, Father that those things would draw us into an ever-increasing affection for you, that we would see your love for us, that we would not suffer as the world suffers, but we would suffer in the arms of a Savior who suffered for us. Father, we're not always happy about our suffering. Sometimes we wonder why you don't choose to alleviate it the way we pray, but the world doesn't make sense to us the way it makes sense to you. We are not sovereign, and so for that reason, we surrender ourselves to you. As we sing these songs, I ask that your Holy Spirit We bring to the forefront of our mind, in the depths of our heart, an understanding, or a glimpse even, of the love of Jesus for us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.